Today on Blue 58, the sky is falling after an unexpectedly close win over the Browns, but we have to push back on the idea that the Packers are cooked. Sure, things weren't great in the run defense, but there's more at play here than that. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of the Power Sweep. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Grateful for your patience for this episode coming out a little bit later. The game is on Saturday, of course, and Saturday was Christmas. I figured it was better to hang around with the family Christmas day, night, than uh, head down to the podcast lair and record a podcast. So here we are Monday morning or Sunday afternoon or evening, whenever you happen to get this, uh, talking Packers. And the Packers escape with a 24-22 to win over the Cleveland Browns. And before we talk about that game and what it means in the broader context, I wanted to thank everybody who has participated so far in our charity drive. We are closing in on last year's number, which was just over $2,700. So far this year, we are at $2,345 in contributions. And if you would like to participate and get your name entered into the drawing for valuable Packers prizes, get your donations to me. Uh, by the end of the day, December 31st. You've got just a couple of days left here, so if you want to participate, get them in. Uh, we appreciate donations of any size, and uh, any donation gets you involved in the, the raffle for uh, either a Packers jersey or a $50 gift certificate to the Packers Pro Shop, one of two, or one of four $25 certificates. So enter, uh, participate. Um, we appreciate everybody who chooses to. I want to talk about the Packers game from Saturday, as it pertains to the overall conversation about the team and where it's headed. Because it feels kind of bad right now, right? The conversation post-game throughout today, throughout Saturday evening, seems to have been centered on the idea that the Packers are going to get run on and lose in the playoffs. That's maybe an oversimplification, but a lot of people seem to be in a pretty negative place. And I think I get why people are there. And it comes back to one of my favorite phrases in media. I've used it on this show before, and I'll use it again, maybe even as the title of the episode here. Immanentizing the eschaton. Sounds really big and brainy, and I guess in some certain senses it is, but it kind of is a sarcastic thing if you trace the roots back. It's a religious thing that got brought over into politics and is kind of pervaded in some media circles since then, a coworker that I used to work with a long time ago used it from time to time kind of sarcastically. Basically, it's a warning against trying to bring about the end of things. Because if you look at the media landscape as a whole in this country, United States, I guess I should say, we have a lot of people who listen around the world. If you look at our media, it's basically built around the idea that you have to convince people every single day that the world is ending. It's why even my local newscast every morning leads off with breaking news. What could possibly justify extreme breaking news sounders at 6 a.m. on a random Tuesday morning just outside Toledo, Ohio? Very little. And yet, that's where we are almost every single day. People are always imagining the worst-case scenario as a way things are necessarily going to be. Oh no, this is bad. Have you thought about how bad this is? We are, in short imminentizing the eschaton. And I get why people do this, because we know things intuitively are going to end. We know, if you want to get really dark, some, you know, truths like someday we're going to die. Someday 
the world is going to end. Someday, a bad thing, I don't even know what it is, is going to happen to me. And we know that's true in sports in an entirely different way. We know things are going to end. And for 31 teams in the NFL, it's going to end in a very unsatisfying way. Packers fans should know that better than most. Since they won the Super Bowl in 2010, there have been no end to unsatisfying conclusions to Packers seasons. So to guard against that idea that things are going to end, we want to feel like we have some control over the scenario. So we start figuring out how things are going to end even before it ends, because that way what we can do when it finally comes about is say, see, I told you so. I told you that run defense or special teams or tackles, you know, the the pass blocking tackles the Packers have or to have you was going to be their undoing. Chances are you're going to be right because if you're betting against, you know, betting on who's going to win the Super Bowl, chances are it's not going to be the Packers in any given season. And I say that as somebody who thinks the Packers have a really good chance at winning the Super Bowl. If the if the choice is the Packers or the field, you'd be silly to not bet on the field every time just because of how hard it is to win the Super Bowl. So here we are left trying to figure out how it's going to end before things even end. So I get why people are doing this with the Packers, especially after this week, because we weren't supposed to learn anything against the Browns. That's what I said two weeks ago. There are, what what was that, you know, before the Baltimore game, maybe even the week prior to that, there are three, four games left in the regular season Packers schedule. There's really only one, the Baltimore game, where we're going to learn anything. Well, we did learn one big thing from the Browns. You can run on the Packers defense, but with an asterisk. Because the Browns have a legit offensive line. They matched up really well against the Packers. Not everybody's going to be able to do that. But people are still running with this. Because in addition to the Browns doing it, this happens to be the second week in a row that something like this has gone down. Baltimore used basically the same recipe. Run and keep it close. Throw to tight ends. Hang around till the end. And you might have a shot to win. Baltimore did. Cleveland did. And you can bet that there's going to be somebody in the playoff that is playoffs that is capable of doing that exact same thing. Because if you look ahead, there are a bunch of NFC playoff teams that kind of play the same way. Tampa Bay builds their offense around a lot of power running stuff and, you know, making plays with their elite core of wide receivers. San Francisco is about as run heavy as you can get. Philadelphia has always done things like that. Minnesota, even they are, it's getting real close for them making the playoffs at all. They may even have been officially eliminated today. I'm not entirely sure, but, uh, just as a, for instance, they're a team that does that kind of thing. It gets pretty easy to write that ending now. And to embrace that idea of imminentizing for a second, I think we can see how the Packers season is probably going to end. It's probably going to be one of three ways or a combination of a couple of these things. They might certainly very well get run to death by some team. Like I said, there's a bunch of teams out there that can do it. Maybe somebody just really commits to it and says, we're just going to hammer this Packers team, shorten the game, and prevent Aaron Rodgers from moving the ball. Very legitimate. Teams have done that over the past couple of years and done it to some success. Or there may just be a Packers special teams meltdown that is too much to overcome against a good team. We talked about that when they had their snafu against the Bears a few weeks back against a really good team it probably wouldn't have been good enough to just beat the Bears in the other two phases. Special teams probably would have killed them against a playoff team. Thirdly, the Packers' pass blocking might finally just have the meltdown that we're 
we've all kind of anticipated throughout the entire year, and it's never really happened, but it seems bound to happen sooner or later. Somebody's finally going to figure out Yash Nyman. How has that not happened yet? Is he really that good? It hardly seems possible. Maybe he is. Um, you know, balance of evidence, it's kind of easy to see why you might come to the conclusion that actually, yes, Yash is a pretty good player. He's a start, starting caliber left tackle, and maybe nobody's just going to figure out how to speed rush on a super athletic six foot seven, six foot eight dude. But given how unpolished he was at the start of the season, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking, okay, maybe somebody figures this out. Maybe somebody finally gets the Packers pass rush. And maybe it isn't Yash Nyman at all. Maybe somebody really finally exploits Royce Newman in a way that we haven't seen in a couple months. But, but, I think we have to push back too. Because as easy as it is to say, okay, the Packers are in rough shape. They got run on by a couple teams in a row. It seems like they're vulnerable to that. We have to push back on the ideas that the Packers are just done. First, forcing, maybe allowing people to run is not necessarily a bad, bad idea. Running is inherently inefficient. It's not as productive as passing the ball. If you can get people to commit to playing inefficient football, you're already a step ahead because it's easier to trip up that run game than it is to slow down a, a hot passing game. Which would you rather have? A run game that seems to be pounding away at your defense or a pass game that's ripping off eight, nine yards at a crack. Because chances are that run game has been buoyed by a couple long runs that's really pushed the average up. If you're averaging eight, nine yards a pass, I think it's a lot less likely that it's really just the result of one big long completion. You're probably doing that pretty frequently. You're probably hitting 10, 12, 15 yard completions fairly regularly. But secondly, even outside of the strategic approach here, there are just no juggernauts in the NFC this year. Tampa is diminished from last year. Dallas is good, but a lot like the Packers, they can be inconsistent. Los Angeles, too, pretty hot and cold. San Francisco, still starting Jimmy Garoppolo. Green Bay is as flawed as they come. You know it as well as I do. On top of that, focusing on how things can end distracts on how things that can go well. It's easy, I think, if you, if you work at it a little bit, if you ignore the loud shouts of people who are really trying to get mad about the Packers game, to focus on how things did kind of go well. Because the Packers were a score away from eliminating Cleveland's run game as a serious approach to this game. They really just couldn't get in that end zone one last time. The Packers also shut down one of the league's most elite pass rushers in Miles Garrett. Sure, he was dealing with a groin injury, but he really didn't affect the game all that much. And thirdly, special teams is by and large fairly good again. The return units, kick return in particular, shaky again, sure. But the field goal operation was fine. Step in the right direction. Maybe the bar is just that low. But the Packers had a pretty clean sheet. They're on at least two or three. And if their offense gets the ball in the end zone, makes it 31 to whatever it was, 14, you're done. It's over. You can't run yourself back into that. Those are all sustainable ways to win. Score enough that teams can't run themselves back into the game. Keep pass blocking well. Keep playing well on special teams. What else is there? 
you do well at those things, you're going to win a lot of games. And the Packers have two regular season games left. And after that, all it takes is winning at most four straight games to be Super Bowl champs. And if the Packers get a bye, it drops to three. The Packers are flawed. They can cover those flaws well enough to win four games. Whether or not they can do that is the only question from here on out. Remember, the Packers are playing for the end game. They're playing for the playoffs. They know these weaknesses. They just have to cover them well enough to win. And they've shown that they can do that by and large this season. If you want to bet against that, that's your right. And chances are, things are probably going to work out your way because most teams don't win the Super Bowl. But don't act like it's all over now because it isn't. There's still a lot of football to be played and we'll see the results on the field. I want to focus on three bad things and three good games from the show to do kind of an abbreviated recap from how we typically do these things. And then we'll send you off into your post-Christmas week. The bad stuff does have to start with the run defense. No matter how you spin it, 8.8 per carry is bad. No matter how well the game ends, giving up almost 9 a carry is going to be a bad day for you. And worse, unlike the scenario I positive, posited, The Packers can't even say, well, they had that one 80-yard run and really we shut them down other than that. The Browns had a long of 30. It wasn't like they were just banking on one really long run to bump up that average. They were pretty consistently moving the ball on the ground against the Packers. It's a problem. Passing balance, too, was another bad thing for the Packers, I think, in this game. They really couldn't get anybody going but Devontae Adams. Alan Lazard did a lot with his two catches, but they were sorely missing uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family. If I don't know if you've heard the news of the tragedy that befell him and his family over the weekend, but uh, losing an eight-month-old nephew is well puts a lot of this in perspective, doesn't it? Um, that is a real loss, no matter how real or imagined the Packers' struggles may be. That is a much more serious situation. But the Packers were clearly missing him on Sunday, and nobody other than Adams really stepped up other than Lazard with his two pretty nice catches. But the Packers had 35 passing attempts and only 202 yards. That's a problem. Got to be more efficient than that. Finally, back to defense, losing contain is going to end up being an issue because Rashawn Gary is going to end up costing the Packers big if he keeps trying to make plays against the run by dipping inside trying to get upfield. It's a thing that shows up again and again and again on tape. And all that it reminds me of is how after the 2014 NFC Championship game, the Seahawks were able to point to their fake field goal as the thing that really turned the tide for them. And not so much just the fake field goal, but saying specifically, calling out A.J. Hawk by name, saying, we knew we could get 50. We knew we could get him because we knew that he was going to make this exact mistake in this exact scenario. If something is bad enough to come up that specifically in a post-game situation, you can be aware that the Seahawks weren't the only one aware of that that issue. Rashawn Gary's inability to contain on the edge is showing up again and again and again for the Packers. And sooner or later, somebody is going to figure out a way to really take advantage of it. You don't need a running quarterback to be able to do that. Just get creative enough with your run scheming, and you can run at him again and again and again and find rushing lanes. That's going to be 
a problem. In terms of good things, let's talk about the number 12. Two 12s we've got to talk about. First, at the team level, the Packers are the first team in the NFL. Two 12 wins. Nobody else, I don't think, is going to be able to get there this weekend. Pretty darn good for a team who's over-under, according to some sports books, was eight for the season. I am not a gambler, though I do make picks every week. But that was pretty low. Even 10 wins seemed pretty low. The Packers have, again, exceeded expectations already. Let's hope they continue to exceed them all the way to the Super Bowl. Second number 12 we've got to talk about is the guy who set the record this weekend, Aaron Rodgers, breaking Brett Favre's record of 442 career touchdown passes in Green Bay. Quite a run for a guy that a lot of people didn't want back in 2005. And this is as good a time as any to remind you of something that I've not mentioned on the podcast in some time. I was among the people who didn't want Aaron Rodgers back in 2005. And that is a as good a reminder as any to not be a prisoner of the moment. I can vividly remember it was Gus Macker weekend in Cedar Grove, Wisconsin. That's going to mean something to about five people, maybe. But the tournament wraps up, three-on-three basketball tournament wraps up, back at home for the day, watching the NFL draft. Packers pick is coming up. Aaron Rodgers is there. Buzz starts building on the TV. Packers come on the clock. The pick is in. And they're saying before it's even announced, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers, and I'm on my knees in front of the TV in my parents' house on Main Street. Just saying, do not pick Aaron Rodgers. Do not pick Aaron Rodgers. Who did I want? Wasn't some Hall of Famer waiting in the wings. Wasn't some other player that ultimately turned out to have a comparably good career. It wasn't somebody even who, in hindsight, would have helped the Packers short term. It wasn't like, well, until Rodgers took over in 2008, this guy would have really helped. Nope. The guy I wanted was Iowa defensive end Matt Roth. And if you're going to look up how his NFL career turned out, it's not going to take you real long because it didn't last, didn't last all that long. It's a good reminder to not be prisoner of the moment. And if you'd like to take this opportunity to remind me about my Jordan Love positions, go right ahead. We'll see how it works out. Finally, in terms of good stuff, Aaron Jones seems to be heating up and heating up at a pretty good time. We talked about it in the preview. The Browns' run defense is pretty darn good. They've been good. But Jones looked sharp, explosive, fresh. Dylan pounding away too in the run game, but this was Aaron Jones' game. He looks fresh for the stretched run, and it feels good to have him around. Pre-game package about him, his family, his father specifically, was incredible. It's hard not to root for Aaron Jones. I mean, why would you root against him? But I mean, he just makes it he makes it real easy. That's something that I thought about a lot over the offseason because Aaron Jones has always been very open about what his, his father meant to him, what it was like to have him at every game uh, growing up throughout college, hearing the pros for him, just seeing him continue to blossom and continue to become, well, his own version of himself, um, now heading into the back half of his 20s, is cool. And I think to kind of close out the podcast, that's one of the things that, as I've gotten older, one of the things I, I like most and appreciate most about sports in general. You can talk a lot about what sports means in terms of 
you know, kind of hackneyed principles like becoming a man and developing character and things like that. And, you know, I can take a leave a lot of things. But one of the things that we do get to see as fans that I, I don't think you can really deny or explain away is that we get to watch these guys grow up. We get to watch them go from, well, take Aaron Jones. You get to watch him go from a, a bit player who was a healthy scratch a couple times in his rookie year for reasons that still don't really really add up to just playing a few snaps on special teams to becoming a, a bona fide star. You get to see him, you know, go from a fresh-faced youngster to a guy who's dealt with some adversity, uh, injuries, uh, you know, losing his dad, and continues to play at a very high level, continues to be a joy for everyone to, to be around. It's stuff like that that makes sports really cool because a lot of these guys end up being, at least indirectly, a part of our lives for quite a long time. And that is a cool thing to have someone in your life, even in kind of a, I guess you'd call it a parasocial relationship now. We know them. They don't know us. But watching them grow up, watching guys like Aaron Jones, guys like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, heck, guys like Aaron Rodgers, we've gotten to see him go from uh, a long-haired hippie sitting behind Brett Favre to, well, I guess <laughs> I guess in some ways a long-haired hippie who um, uh, breaks the Packers' passing touchdown record. You get to see people change. You get to see people grow. And that's a really cool thing. It's a cool thing to reflect on, on on Christmas weekend as we mark the passage of another year, another big holiday. And I hope you'll continue to to tune in to a show like this and see how we continue to grow and change, you know, because looking ahead to 2022, got some hopefully interesting projects coming up that I think you'll be interested in um, as far as we're concerned too. So that's all I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you listening in. I appreciate all of your questions, your donations to our charity drive, everything that you do to help this show go, help us make an impact. It's, it's awesome. And if you enjoy this show, I'd continue to encourage you to share it with someone you think would enjoy it as well. It's going to get more people involved in the conversation that we're having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.